This episode contains mentions of suicide as well as an extreme case of depression and isolation. I will be using sound effects such as gunshots, footsteps, wet squishy sounds, and more throughout this episode. Listener discretion is advised. The Victorian poet Frederick Doveton once wrote, The cobwebs in the windows lie, and the dirt and the dust are there. What is the unknown history of 50 Berkeley Square? Hello, 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 everyone. This is Creeping Out Katie. I'm Katie. Thank you for joining me for another creepy episode. In this podcast, I will talk about the different creepy things that scared me as a child. I'll also talk about the history behind them and if they're actually scary. Once again, I apologize for another delay in episodes. I work within the education field and the month of September sucks for everyone. Anyway, thank you for joining me today. Who else was afraid of haunted houses growing up? It seems like every neighborhood has that one house that has some kind of eerie presence about it. It could be because of the way it looks, maybe it's strange because of past or current owners, or even because of a certain event that happened to take place there. For this episode, I wasn't sure if I wanted to talk about several different haunted houses or just one specific one. Then I came across London's number 50 Berkeley Square. Holy moly, this was a rabbit hole. Number 50 Berkeley Square was once known as the most haunted house in London. In the words of Charles G. Hooper, author of the 1907 book Haunted Houses, the four-story home was, quote, the very picture of misery. We got gruesome deaths, ghosts, doorways to other dimensions, rumors of the occult, unseen cryptids, you name it. It seems like a Lovecraftian Airbnb. It was kind of hard to determine fact from fiction about 50 Berkeley Square because there are so many stories. I will try to tell each separate event in chronological order. For now, relax, enjoy, and try not to get creeped out. 50 Berkeley Square is a traditional London townhouse. Legend states that the attic room of the house is haunted by a spirit of a young woman named Adeline who committed suicide there. It is said that in the year 1789, she threw herself from a top floor window after being abused by her uncle. However, others say it was a sadistic servant. Her body was found on the pavement outside of the residence. It is said that her spirit is capable of frightening people to death. Witnesses stated that the spirit takes form of a brown mist or a white figure. There isn't just one ghost haunting in the attic, however. According to another legend, a man by the name Mr. Dupree took residence at 50 Berkeley Square and had an insane brother who he locked up in a room on the top floor of the house. He was isolated from society and was fed by a slit in the door or a hole in the wall. I could not find any definite proof that anyone by the name of Dupree has ever took residence within the house, let alone had an insane brother hiding there. Then again, even Google has its limits. 50 Berkeley Square was the home of former Prime Minister George Canning until his death in 1827. In his diaries, he wrote that he occasionally heard weird sounds and bangings throughout the house that he could not explain. After his death, 50 Berkeley Square was then leased to Elizabeth Curzon, who lived there until her death at the age of 90 in 1859. As far as we know, she did not have any experiences or reports of anything supernatural within the household. During this time, a man named Thomas Myers rented the home from her. The tale of Myers is a strange and tragic one. The story goes he was engaged and had bought the house for him and his future wife. Unfortunately, shortly before the wedding, his fiancée left him. The heartbroken Myers became a recluse hermit. 
He moved to a tiny room on the top of the building where he lived day after day, refusing to interact with another living soul. It is said that he slept through the day and only ever came out at night to walk through the rooms by candlelight. At night, the neighbors will see a flickering flame of a candle cast by a dull glow from the house's windows as he drifted from room to room. Over the years, his mind slowly deteriorated until his death at the age of 76 in November of 1874. During his residence, the house fell into gross disrepair. The deterioration of the house in the tragic tale of Myers solidified the house's haunted image and lore. It is possible that Charles Dickens' character, Miss Havisham, from the novel Great Expectations, took tremendous inspiration off of Myers. Dickens was known for finding characters inspired from real-life people. Dickens also began writing the novel in September 1860, around the time that Thomas Myers became a recluse. Before his death, many people rumored that Myers never stopped trying to win back the love of his ex-fiancée. It was said that neighbors could hear him screaming and making strange noises at night, and was suspected of using his cellar to practice the occult. It is so important to point out that this man was clearly mentally ill. During this time, mental health was not seen as important as it really is, and he most likely did not receive the treatment he truly deserved. This poor man most likely had a severe mental breakdown throughout the years. According to legend, in the year 1840, a 20-year-old man by the name of Robert Warboyce heard of the hauntings of 50 Berkeley Square. Warboyce dismissed the tales as false urban legends, believing that the hauntings were, quote, unadulterated poppycock. I love that. That is amazing. One night, Warboys and his friends were discussing 50 Berkeley Square over some drinks at a pub. His friends truly believed that the house was haunted and dared Warboys to spend the night there. He accepted their challenge and they immediately left the pub to the address. You may be thinking, wow, people can just dare someone to stay at a random house and the owner will be cool with it? No, of course not. When the landlord answered the door, he refused to allow Warboys entry. And you may be thinking, this landlord has nothing to do with this group. He has nothing to gain from drunken strangers staying at his residence. Well, Warboys paid the landlord, and he was allowed to stay the night with a few conditions. The landlord's conditions were very... cryptic, to say the least. In the house, the landlord showed Warboys a makeshift bell system if he saw anything out of the ordinary or strange. Warboys had to immediately pull the rope that will ring the bell in the landlord's room. By doing so, the landlord would, hopefully, be able to come in and help Warboys. He then gave Warboys a loaded pistol and a candle. Warboys thought that the landlord was being a little overdramatic, but he agreed to the terms. Warboys wished the landlord a good evening and settled into his room around midnight. He was placed in a bedroom on the second floor. About 40 minutes later, the landlord awoke to loud noises coming from the upstairs room. He then heard the bell frantically ring. The landlord grabbed his own shotgun and ran to Warboy's room. He smashed the door down in hopes to help Warboys. In one version of the story, Warboys was found in the corner of the room, shaking of fright and his gun smoking in his hand. When the landlord asked what happened, Warboys could not articulate what he saw and ran out of the house. However, another version of the story stated that Robert Warboys was found in the corner, dead. The corpse was still holding the pistol in his hand, and he had a terrified expression on his face. His lips were peeled back, showing teeth and eyes bulging out of his skull. The police could not find any evidence of any person or anything in the room. They could only find a hole in the wall where Warboys shot. People believe Warboys was killed by an unseen entity dubbed the Nameless Horror.
The nameless horror that Warboys might have seen will appear throughout the history of the house several times. Before we continue, I just want to say that this story takes place while Myers was in the house, so take that as you will. In 1872, there was another victim by the name of Thomas Littleton who insisted on staying in the same room as Warboys. Littleton was an accomplished writer who was obsessed with the paranormal. He wanted to prove that 50 Berkeley Square was truly haunted. According to Littleton, he woke up in the middle of the night by a strange noise. Like Warboys, Littleton grabbed his firearm and looked for the source. In the corner of the room, he saw a strange brown figure with tentacles. The creature started to charge at Littleton, who then shot it point blank. After shooting it, Littleton could not find the corpse of the creature. All that was left was a hole in the wall from the gunshot and a weird residue within it. About six years later, in 1879, a man moved into 50 Berkeley Square with his two teenage daughters. When they first arrived, the eldest daughter immediately complained about a strange, musty smell. She compared the smell to animal cages at the zoo. On the same day, her fiancé, Captain Ketfield, was going to visit the house, so the family had the maid prepare his room on the second floor. She went upstairs, and within minutes, the household heard terrified screams coming from the room. Rushing to assist, they found the maid collapsed on the floor, muttering to herself, Don't let it touch me, over and over. However, there was nothing there. The poor girl was sent to a local asylum and died the following day. Despite the fate of the servant girl, Captain Kenfield thought, That's okay, I'll still stay in that room tonight. Totally cool, totally fine, totally not traumatizing at all. That night, he headed up the stairs by candlelight and closed the door. About half an hour later, the family heard terrified screams coming from the room, followed by a gunshot. The family rushed to his aid, but found him dead on the floor, his face twisted with horror. I hate to interject again, but these are not all true. I have no rhythm. Anyway, for one thing, I found an article stating that Captain Kurtfield was the maid's fiancé, not the eldest daughter's. Another article stated that the family's name was Kurtfield and did not mention the fiancé's name. More importantly, I could not find a name of a man or even his daughter's names listed as the residents of the household in my research. It is very likely that this story was fabricated. Wow. The nameless horror will not appear again for many years. On Christmas Eve of 1887, two sailors from the HMS Penelope in Portsmouth named Robert Martin and Edward Blunden spent all of their lodging money at the pub and had no place to stay. In a drunken stupor, the two came across 50 Berkeley Square that was for sale and unattended. Due to their desperate situation and most likely unaware of the home's history, the two broke into the basement, walked across the rat-infested floors, and went up to the stairs to the second floor. They settled down and slept in one of the bedrooms. According to legend, London, the more sober of the two, had a weird feeling that someone was watching them in the room. However, Martin brushed it off, stating that this place was their only option. Eventually, both men fell into a deep sleep. An hour or so later, London woke up by something moving across the room, creating wet sounds and causing the wooden floorboards to creak and groan. He then saw a gray form on the ground crawling towards them. Blennon took out his gun or a fire poker to use as a weapon, but then the form jumped and landed onto his neck. Martin woke up by Blennon's screams, 
and saw a creature with tentacles attacking his friend. He ran out of the house to flag down a patrol officer, but when they arrived to the room, it was empty. The body of Blendon was found on the street, having jumped from the window to escape the mysterious assailant. Some newspapers stated that the body was impaled by the metal gate's railing on impact. However, some sources stated that the body was found in the basement. In all versions, Blendon's face was paralyzed with terror. Martin was taken in and interviewed under suspicions of murder, however was eventually released without any charges against him. Eventually, the house was sold to the British Petroleum Company. Around the year 1938, the main floor of the building was converted into a bookshop named Mags Brothers and owned by Edward Mags. The information I'm about to give you is very random, but I came across this while doing research and I needed to share it with everyone. In 1916, Max Bros bought the dismembered penis of Napoleon Bulbaparte. I don't want to stop the creepy flow of this episode, but if you're interested in learning about the journey around the world for Bulbaparte's male part, as well as the stimulating display at the Museum of Russian Iraka for Grigory Rasputin, I will post a bonus episode after this. Anyway, the company was based at 50 Berkeley Square until 2015. Throughout the years of its residence, owners and workers have never experienced any paranormal activities. However, no one was permitted to climb to the second floor, even employees. So here are the theories of 50 Berkeley Square. There is a rumor that the house serves as some sort of doorway between dimensions through which strange entities venture through. The nameless horror could be a creature from another dimension. However, some believe that it is actually a cryptid, classified as a cellopod. If you don't know, cellopods are members of the molluscan class, cephalopodia, such as squid and octopuses. It is theorized that this creature managed to crawl up the pipes from London's viewing sewer system after coming up the Thames River. However, a cephalopod's typical lifespan is just one or two years. The nameless horror creature appeared several times throughout a span of 40 plus years. Octopuses are known to adapt to their environment. However, there most likely wasn't any body of water in the house that the creature could survive in and not be noticed. It is very likely that 50 Berkeley Square is just an old house with fantastic stories that grew over the years. The isolation and reclusiveness of Thomas Myers would have spread mystery and rumors about his odd behavior escalating into the phantasmal legend that it is. However, when it comes to 50 Berkeley Square, we truly do not know what lurks in the shadows. Creeping Out Kitty was brought to you by River Sticks Audio and created by me, Katie Clark. For written transcripts, research credit, updates, and more, visit our website at riversticksaudio.wixsite.com. If you enjoyed this podcast or any of our other podcasts, follow our Instagram and Twitter under River Sticks Audio. Intro and outro song is Misconceptions by Mew. Background music, Maestro Chakalel by Jess Gallagher. Logo art by Malin Costello from MC Design.